Well, like we've heard already this morning a couple of times, we're going to be finishing up our sermon series on Malachi, and the conclusion of the book of Malachi matches perfectly with a really important discipleship need of our moment. I've spent a lot of time over the last year listening to people process where they are in their faith. And while there are a lot of encouraging things that are going on, there are lots of people who are reporting spiritual renewal, a sense that God has been with them during this strange time, and the opportunities for, uh, for growth and deepening of their faith. At the very same time, many cr- Christians are wrestling with a sense of deep discouragement. As we look out into the world, we see scandal in the church, and we see a lot of uh, pressure from society, and that leaves many people reevaluating their faith. And so I'm increasingly convinced, the more that I've sat in prayer and thought about the needs of this church and just the church at large, I'm increasingly convinced that the discipleship, of the, the discipleship demand of the moment is truly believing that following God is worth it, even if it doesn't feel worth it at times. And the book of Malachi ends with an encouragement towards that. If you remember the way that I finished the sermon last week, I told you that when I was in high school, I was a wayward Christian. And even though I had lots of people encouraging me to really commit to my faith in Christ, still I had some hang-ups. As I read the Bible spiritually, I understood that there was a lot to gain if God were true to his promises. But in a very worldly sense, I had actually a lot to lose if I actually started to follow Jesus. And so I had to come around to answering this question, is it worth it to serve God? Is serving God worth it? You've probably asked yourself that one time or another, and if you haven't personally asked that question yet in your life, it's likely that you will. Life is hard. Injustice happens. We cry out to God for help, and he seems distant from us. The non-Christians around us seem to be flourishing. They, They seem to be doing just fine a lot of the time, and so we sit back and we wonder, is serving God really worth it? Is serving God worth it even when it doesn't feel worth it? And again, I am convinced that God had Malachi write the conclusion to his book in the way that he did in order to help resolve that doubt. This is the last book of the Old Testament. Malachi was the final prophet that was sent to the people of Israel before the long wait until Jesus' birth. And so this passage is God's last word to the people before a really long wait. They needed something that would sustain their faith during the trials of an incredibly long time, waiting for their fulfillment of their hope. And so God moves in with a profoundly pastoral message. He draws near and he tells us this morning, faithfulness is always worth it. Dear church, faithfulness is always worth it. And so do not fear and don't give up. And so for the last time in this series, let me invite you to turn to the book of Malachi. If you're using your pew Bibles, we're going to be picking up on page 802. I'll be reading verses 13 of chapter 3 all the way to the end of the book in chapter 4. And so let's hear God's word. 
as he speaks profound words of encouragement to us this morning. Hear now the word of God. Your words have been hard against me, says the Lord. But you say, how have we spoken against you? You have said, it is vain to serve God. What is the profit of our keeping his charge or of walking as in mourning before the Lord of hosts? And now we call the arrogant blessed. Evildoers not only prosper, but they put God to the test and they escape. Then those who feared the Lord spoke with one another. The Lord paid attention and heard them. And a book of remembrance was written before him of those who feared the Lord and esteemed his name. They shall be mine, says the Lord of hosts, in the day when I make up my treasured possession, and I will spare them as a man spares his son who serves him. Then once more you shall see the distinction between the righteous and the wicked, between one who serves God and one who does not serve him. For behold, the day is coming burning like an oven when all the arrogant and all evildoers will be stubble. The day that is coming shall set them ablaze, says the Lord of hosts, so that it will leave them neither root nor branch. But for you who fear my name, the sun of righteousness shall rise with healing in its wings. You shall go out leaping like calves from the stall, and you shall sh tread down the wicked, for they will be ashes under the soles of your feet on the day that I act, says the Lord of hosts. Remember the law of my servant Moses, the statutes and rules that I commanded him at Horeb for all Israel. Behold, I will send you Elijah the prophet before the great and awesome day of the Lord comes. And he will turn the hearts of fathers to their children and the hearts of children to their fathers, lest I come and strike the land with a decree of utter destruction. Brothers and sisters, thus far in the reading of God's word, the grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God will stand forever. Let's pray. Our Lord, speak to us this morning. Speak to us and strengthen us and encourage us, for our faith is weak. Minister to us through your spirit, so that you would comfort the doubting, that you would strengthen the suffering, and that you would encourage the joyful in their journey. Help us all to fear your name and to trust in Christ in this long season of waiting and trial. Help us to believe your word this morning, we pray in the name of Christ. Amen. So as we've seen, as we've studied the book of Malachi over the last several weeks, the book of Malachi is God's letter of love that is sent to rouse a dejected people who are at risk of losing their faith. And the book reaches a crescendo today in volume as the people question the value of serving God. This is their final question, their final accusation to God in this back and forth that we've been witnessing. And at this point in time, they are really fired up. God says in verse 13, your words have been hard against me. Another way of saying that is you have spoken strongly against me. So we can think of maybe a courtroom scenario where someone stands up 
and launches into fiery accusation of accusation and accusation, words of great condemnation towards someone. That is what's happening here. God is saying, you are speaking strongly against me. And in typical fashion, they respond, how? How are we exactly doing that? The answer, by saying that following God is worthless. Listen to verses 14 and 15. You have said it is vain to serve God. What is the profit of our keeping his charge or of walking as in mourning before the Lord of hosts? And now we call the arrogant blessed evildoers not only prosper, but they put God to the test and escape. Essentially, they're saying if God is unfaithful to us, it's not worth being faithful to him. And that is a really stunning accusation. They actually believe that they have been faithful to God. Verse 14 depicts them as these righteous mourners who have been walking faithfully before God as they go under all sorts of suffering. But nothing could be further from the truth. You remember from reading the rest of the book of Malachi, they have been absolutely awful to God. But they think that they have been faithful, and they actually think that God has been unfaithful to them. Verse verse 15 accuses God of letting their enemies trample all over them. They accuse God of not loving justice, letting letting innocent suffering go unpunished. Again, nothing could be further from the truth. God loves justice. God loves his people. And he says that he will come to judge their enemies. But in their disillusionment, in their cynicism, the math just does not add up. And they come to the conclusion it's just not worth it anymore. There is no profit in serving God. And that reveals what's going on in their hearts. It's a very worldly way of assessing the value of being in a relationship with God, applying some sort of cost-benefit analysis, weighing worldly blessing with worldly suffering and seeing if religion actually pays. One writer labels this group of people mercenary doubters because they're obsessed with valuing the earthly benefit of serving God. They're just in it for themselves. And here's what God says. God responds with a very important word to the people, and it's a very important word for us too. God says faithfulness is always worth it. Faithfulness is always worth it, and here's why. Faithfulness is always worth it because of God's promises. Faithfulness is always worth it because of God's promises. In our text today, God gives two promises to show his people the profit or the value of being faithful to him. And admittedly, the first one that we hear about isn't very fun. God promises profound judgment to those who refuse to serve him. We hear this in verse 1, For behold, the day is coming, burning like an oven, When all the arrogant and all evildoers will be stubble, the day that is coming shall set them ablaze, says the Lord of hosts, so that it will not that it will leave them neither root nor branch. Why is faithfulness worth it? Because God promises to judge all of the unfaithful. He promises to judge the evildoers and the arrogant who refuse to serve him. And at first, one of those things doesn't quite seem like the other. We can say, judge the evildoers, I get that. 
But they're arrogant? Really? They get the same treatment? How is that fair? Well, to put it simply, God cares about the heart. God cares far more about the heart than we do when we think about it. That's why we kind of say, oh, the evildoers are really bad, but the arrogant, well, we're all kind of arrogant. Don't we deserve to kind of not have the same sort of punishment? But again, God cares about the heart according to God. The point of life is not simply to avoid being an evildoer. The point of life is to serve God with gladness. And you can't serve God with gladness if you arrogantly think you are better than him or if you refuse to submit to his plan. And so, yes, both the arrogant and the evildoer will be judged by God because they both refuse to serve him. They both refuse to submit to God. And what will the judgment be? According to Malachi, it will be profound. It will be incredibly strong against the people who resist God. It will leave neither root nor branch, as we hear in the text. Now, if you studied forest fires, you'll know that that is a picture of total devastation. Absolute, complete devastation. Usually when a fire sweeps through the land, it destroys everything that's on top of the land, all the branches, but it leaves the roots untouched. They're under the ground. And so that's why things can grow back after a fire. But what God says here is that the destruction will be so immense that not only will it destroy everything above the ground, it'll destroy everything below the ground too, so that nothing will have the opportunity to grow back. It will burn everything away. Nothing can survive. And so that's why God says in verse 6, this is a decree of utter destruction. You might say, I thought you said this was a letter of love. That doesn't sound very loving. Well, a warning is an act of love if it's meant to turn people away from destruction. When I was 17 years old, I went through this phase of drinking probably a gallon of sweet tea by myself every week. There was a lot of sweet tea, and it was in the South, and so this was really sweet tea. There was a lot of sugar in it, and so I was drinking a lot of sweet tea until someone said, You know that drinking sweet tea is one of the best ways that you can get kidney stones. Well, this person was loving me very well because it's always been a goal of mine to avoid kidney stones in life. And so immediately, I stopped drinking sweet tea. And even to this day, I hardly will ever touch a glass of the stuff. And that warning for me was actually an act of love. And in the same way, God warns us out of love to not give up and to not go our own way. It is worth serving God to avoid a much worse judgment. And so if you are actively resisting God, or if you are refusing to submit to his plan, I would urge you and beg you, please repent. Please ask God to forgive you this morning so that you can avoid his judgment. Ask him for forgiveness and enjoy the great benefit of the salvation that he offers, because that is where God goes next. He doesn't just leave this on a warning of judgment. He actually gives us a promise of glorious salvation. Here, verse 2, but for you who fear my name, the son of righteousness shall rise with healing in its wings. It's a wonderful promise of salvation given to those who, who will fear God and who will turn to him in repentance. Now here again, God aims at the heart. Again, salvation is for those who fear God's name. Importantly, this isn't, it doesn't say for the perfect. Again, salvation isn't for the perfect because there are no perfect. Salvation is for the humble. 
It's for those who genuinely love the Lord, who serve Him, even though imperfectly, but they serve Him with glad hearts. And to those who love Him, He gives a tremendous salvation. What a salvation we hear in this text. The Son of Righteousness shall rise with healing in its wings. You shall go out leaping like calves from the stall. Salvation is life and light, and freedom. Just imagine it. Sun is, has an incredible power of healing. It, it disinfects things, and it strengthens our bodies, and it lifts our spirits. Imagine what it's like after you've been cooped up in your house all through a gloomy, long winter on that first day of spring, when you can go out in short sleeves and you feel the warmth of the sun on your face. It is a glorious day. Or imagine the last day of school, and it's the, the last hour of the last day of school, and so the students are all tensed up, their backpacks are on their back, they're just waiting to hear that final bell, and when that final bell rings, everyone races out into the hallway, races out of the school to enjoy a wonderful vacation. That is what God's salvation is like. For those who have suffered in gloom, and sin and suffering, God's salvation is life and light and freedom. It is amazing. Faithfulness is always worth it because God saves those who fear him. He promises them an abundance of grace. It is great news. And for these people, God tells them, hold on. Hold on, don't give up hope. I'm bringing you an abundant salvation and it is so worth the wait. And for us, now, for us on this side of redemptive history, there's even more reason for us to rejoice because Jesus fulfills this promise. Jesus fulfills the promise of salvation. He is the son of righteousness who rises with healing in his wings. He brings healing and life and light, and freedom. John chapter 1, which we're actually going to be studying next week, says, in him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. Or Galatians 5.1, for freedom Christ has set us free. Or 2 Corinthians 3.17, where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom in Christ. The great and awesome day of the Lord has already begun. Of course, we are still waiting for Christ to come again. We are waiting for him to bring the fullness of our salvation. But even now, the light of Christ has already begun shining in our hearts so we can enjoy God's salvation now. So take heart, friends. Don't lose hope. Don't give up. God will judge and God will save. Because of God's great promises, faithfulness is always worth it. And that means that faithfulness is always worth it in spite of suffering. Faithfulness is always worth it in spite of suffering. And here's where God's pastoral heart really shines. God knows the struggles that we have. He knows the points of tension that will make us question our faith. He knows where we'll be tempted to give up. And so he names those very things and says, in spite of those sufferings, faithfulness is always worth it. God says that faithfulness is always worth it 
in spite of cultural decay. That's what's tripping the people up in verse 15. The cultural decay around them had made them question the value of serving God. They didn't like how they were being treated. And they longed for the power and status of the nations that were around them. And God reminds them that no matter what's going on around them, no matter how poorly they are treated, and no matter how enticing the surrounding temptations may be, they're suffering in a, in a hostile, combative culture, is, it pales in comparison to the great salvation that God brings. And so faithfulness is always worth it. In Paul's language, the eternal weight of glory outshines any momentary affliction that we have in the midst of a culture that doesn't always like us. So faithfulness is always worth it in spite of cultural decay. Faithfulness is always worth it, God says, in spite of church decline. Throughout the entire book of Malachi so far, we've seen that Malachi has addressed God's people as one hard-hearted group of people. But in verse 16, we catch a glimpse that some of the people actually did want to be faithful. Then those who feared the Lord spoke with one another, and a book of remembrance was written before God of those who feared the Lord and esteemed his name. Now, the text doesn't actually tell us how many people that was, but the implication is that it was not a large number. This wasn't a day of national repentance. And so those who wanted to repent had to ask themselves what I think is a really hard question. Is it worth serving God when it seems like the rest of the church has gone astray? And God reassures them, in spite of the spiritual decline of his people, faithfulness is always worth it. Just listen to the reassurance that he gives these people in verses 16 and 17. God paid attention to them. He directed his gaze upon them. He heard them as they talked about how they were going to commit to him. He promised them that they would be his, that they would be a part of his great treasured possession. He would receive them as a father receives his child with a glad and gracious heart, willing to overlook mistakes with forgiveness and generosity. That's exactly what this group of people needed to hear. They needed to hear that in spite of the spiritual decline around them, their faithfulness was always worth it. And finally, God says that faithfulness is always worth it in spite of his delay. The people had given up hope that God would come to their aid. They had run out of patience. And so God says to them in a loving way, don't worry, I will come to you. And that's why the book ends on a promise. Behold, I will send you Elijah the prophet before the great and awesome day of the Lord comes. And he will turn the hearts of the fathers to their children and the hearts of the children to their fathers. Essentially, God is saying, be on the lookout because I will send my redeemer and I will send someone to prepare the way for him before I come. Do not fear. I will begin this great work of healing. Now, of course, this promise also ends with a warning, lest I come and strike the land with the decree of utter destruction. And so he says, yes, even in spite of the, the weight that you might have to endure, faithfulness is still worth it. Now, I want to say that to you again, and I want you to listen carefully. Faithfulness 
is always worth it in spite of cultural decay, in spite of church decline, and in spite of God's delay. I can't think of a more relevant message for us in this season because those three things are some of the biggest stumbling blocks to people these days. Listen, again, I've spent a lot of time listening to people process their faith over the last several months and over the last year and a half, and here's what I've heard. People are very discouraged about the sins of society, and people are very enticed by the sins of society. People love Jesus, but they are dismayed at the sins of the church. People are actually leaving the faith because of some of the things that have happened to them or happened to others inside of the church. And people are longing for Jesus to return. But for many people, their hope, their faith, it's hanging by a thread. Because it looks like God is just overlooking so much injustice and they do not know how much longer they can wait. And as I know you as a church, I would say that most of us fit into at least one of those categories. Now, I'm not saying that we don't have joy. God is very much alive in our midst. I'm just saying that our faith is tried in so many places and so many fronts. And so listen carefully to what God tells you this morning. He says that faithfulness is always worth it in spite of your sufferings. When you are buffeted by a hostile culture, God sees your struggle and he promises justice. When you feel like you are all alone because you look around and it just seems like all of the Christians around you are giving into all manner of idolatry, God pays attention to you and he promises that you are his. And when it seems like you can't, uh, you can't endure another day of suffering, another day of waiting for Jesus to come back, God hears your cry And he promises you a great and glorious salvation. And he assures you of his amazing inheritance that he is going to give you. And when we view these promises through the New Testament, there is even more reason for us to hope. Because again, Jesus fulfills these promises. These promises point us to Christ. Jesus died and rose again so that injustice would not have the final word. Jesus is the good shepherd. The one who promises to gather all of his sheep, even the ones who have gone astray, he will protect his church. And Jesus gives us the Holy Spirit. He gives us the Holy Spirit as a down payment of his future coming. The Holy Spirit gives us fellowship with Christ, even now in the midst of our suffering. And the Holy Spirit guarantees you that Jesus will come again. So faithfulness is always worth it, friends. Faithfulness is always worth it because of God's promises. Faithfulness is always worth it in spite of our suffering. And so be faithful. Be faithful. This is the message of the entire book of Malachi. God loves you, so be faithful. It's the exact opposite of the people's complaints. In verses 14 and 15, they say, we're faithful to God, But God's not faithful to us. And so unless God changes, there's no value here. This whole thing 
isn't worth it, but the entire book of Malachi says the opposite message. Malachi says very firmly, we are unfaithful to God, but God is faithful to us, so we should change. And there's tremendous value for us when we do, when we cling to God's way, when we follow him, when we serve him with glad hearts, there is tremendous value, even if in the moment it doesn't feel worth it. So be faithful. Well, how can we do that? How can we be faithful? The book of Malachi tells us. Malachi says two things for us to do, for us to be faithful in the long wait. He says, remember and remember together. That's the two things we need to do to be faithful. Remember and remember together. God says in verse 4 of chapter 4, remember, remember the law of my servant Moses. That is a comprehensive statement. Remember means much more than simply stuff something into your memory so that you can recall it if you need to. No, remember, according to the Bible, is this deep heart word. It says put it into your heart so that it transforms your life. And so you can put it into practice as soon as you need to take the whole thing to heart. Again, not just be able to rattle off the Ten Commandments. It means embrace the entirety of it. And so remember. Remember God's word. Remember God's covenant faithfulness. Remember your identity as God's children. He has adopted you out of grace. And then remember what God has called you to do in response to that grace. You're to love him with your whole heart, your mind, your strength. You're to love your neighbor as yourself. That's what it means to remember the law. Well, how can we do that? Just read your Bible. Read your Bible. That is actually the way that God wants us to persevere. He gave you his word to strengthen us in this season of waiting. Read your Bible, but don't do it just to check the box. You need to take it to heart. Again, what remembering really is, put it into your heart. So you should study the Bible the way that a dancer studies the dance moves and the routine. You should study your Bible the way a quarterback studies a list of plays so that you can do it. Study the Bible so that it inhabits your heart and changes your life. So take time to be in the Word. And if this is something that you're not used to doing, it's actually not that hard. I would say just try to take 10, 15 minutes every day this week to try and put it into practice. Take your Bible. If you don't have a particular one that you're studying, I'd suggest the book of Mark or possibly the book of Ephesians. Just flip to the table of contents in the front and you can find them easily in that way. If you don't have a Bible, we have some that we can give you. So take up the Bible, open it up to a passage that you're going to read, and then pray. Pray in that moment, Lord, help me to hear from you. God, tell me what you want me to know, what you want me to do. And then read the passage slowly, asking those core questions. How does this passage show me who Jesus is? And what is God calling me to do? And then after you're done reading that particular passage, pray again and ask God for the Holy Spirit to enable you to live it out. That is how to remember God's word. And that is how we can have the strength to keep serving God and enduring. So remember, remember God's word. But don't do it alone. 
God wants us to remember together. We need to remember together. That's verse 16. Then those who feared the Lord spoke with one another. And a book of remembrance was written before him of those who feared the Lord and esteemed his name. Community is absolutely vital to our faithfulness. And that's why you should come to church. That's why you should come to church every week so that you can be with the rest of the body as we dedicate ourselves to God. And then outside of Sunday mornings, make time for Christian friends who can encourage you so that you can have a community to talk through the struggles that you have. These friends can remind you how much God loves you. They can remind you when things get hard that he has amazing promises for you and that faithfulness is always worth it. This is how God wants us to weather the long wait. Again, these were his last prophetic words to his people for 400 years. And so clearly, this passage is meant to sustain us for the long haul. Remember God's word of salvation and remember it together as a community of believers. That's how Malachi ends. And that's how we can make it to the end, being faithful to God and continuing to serve him until Christ comes again. And so friends, don't underestimate the value of faithfulness. And don't underestimate the redemptive power of serving God with gladness. It is really easy for us to get overwhelmed, I think, when we look around and see absolutely how much brokenness surrounds us. And we might sit back and say, you're calling us to some really small acts, and we are a really small church. And so how can our faithfulness really make a difference? Well, let me encourage you to look at Malachi. Malachi actually gives us a fantastic encouragement in this. Malachi was a no-name prophet ministering to a no-name servant people. They were oppressed. No one cared about them. And this no-name prophet comes and speaks to them God's word. Now, most prophetic books tell us at least a little bit about the prophets, but not Malachi. We don't know a thing about him. The only thing that we know is his name, and even his name is really generic. It just means my servant. So we don't know anything about him. All we know is that God used him to confront a deeply cynical people with a message of God's amazing love. And God used Malachi's faithfulness to inspire their faithfulness unexpectedly. A group of people is convicted. They dedicate themselves to repentance and to reformation. They come together to live a new life of faithfulness. And this laid the foundation for the later reforms and revivals in the books of Ezra and Nehemiah as the people came together to remember God's law. See, God blesses faithfulness. God uses humble people and humble churches in his plan all of the time. And so Christ Church of Arlington, you may be little in the eyes of the world, but you are treasured and beloved in God's kingdom. And so don't give up. Don't give up. Keep being faithful to the call. Don't give up your hope. Be faithful. This is God's word to us through the book and the prophet of Malachi, because of God's judgment, don't stray from God, but because of his great and mighty salvation, cling to him. Enjoy the salvation that is yours in Christ, 
and look forward to the wonderful heavenly inheritance and heavenly blessing that will come your way when Jesus comes again. Remember this and remember it together. Be faithful even when you don't feel like it because it is always worth it in the end. Let's pray. Our Lord and God and Savior, we thank you for your great salvation that you offer us in Christ. And we praise you for this wonderful word that is truly meant to strengthen us for a long journey. And at the same time, oh God, we are, we are tired. We are weary. And so we pray that you would strengthen us again. We do long for Christ. And for some of us, our hope is is hanging on a thread. And so we pray that you would strengthen our hope through the Spirit. Call us to yourself. Give us hope again in Christ. Give us joy in our salvation so that we can enjoy it even now. And give us church community in this time of distance and fracturing. We pray that you would bring us together so that we can encourage each other in the faith. Give us this, we pray. And be glorified. Use our faithfulness in your world. And if it inspires one person to come into the kingdom, we will consider our sacrifice worth it. So, oh God, bless our faithfulness and bring it fruit and flourishing. And Christ, please, we beg you, come again soon. Be with us through the Spirit until you do. We pray in the name of Christ. Amen.